Hey, good morning. It's good to see you guys again. I was out last week. I was in Guatemala for uh, a men's conference and a business uh, leaders conference and really, really enjoyed that time. But by the end of those several days, I was so ready to come back home. I, and I think I'm getting old uh, or something. I just like to be here and I miss you guys a lot. So it's good to, good to get to be back. And I want to thank you on behalf of the pastors. You're very gracious. Uh, to us, and we love you, and we appreciate uh, every day the opportunity we have to get to to live and to minister alongside you. Uh, you're just beautiful folks, and thank you for letting us be a part of you. I want to welcome you to the fifth and the last session together on um, in our series, I Love Sundays. We've been learning uh, about the pace and the priorities of our lives that are set, really, by Sundays. Uh, we're learning that the God who designed us uh, for a day of resting and refueling and refocusing every seven days. That's the way he built us and the way he made us. Now, in the first week of our series, we learned that Sundays can surprise us. We saw that God intends for Sunday to be the best day of your life. And I know several of you, one person I think of in particular came to me and said, you know what, I didn't really see it like that, but that just absolutely shifted the whole way I think about my week. And now Sunday has become like this amazing day and the best day I look forward to. In the second week of our series, we learned that Sundays make better Mondays. And God, when he created us, he built in this internal rhythm for work and rest, and work and rest. And there is just a ton of evidence from every kind of field, whether it's uh, medical or psychological, the way we're made uh, mentally and emotionally and physically, uh, this just absolutely works. And tomorrow is going to be a better day because of today. In the third week in the series, we learned that better Sundays make better families. And we discovered how to use Sundays to build better relationships. It's just a perfect opportunity uh, for that to happen. In the fourth week, we learned how Sundays can change eternities because God's plan since our failure all the way back in the garden until now has been to restore his family. And that's what he's doing. He calls it church. So this morning, I want to show you how Sundays have changed the world. And this has been one of those kind of fascinating things. Uh, I don't know if you're like me. I get off on tangents. You know, I start to think about something or study something, then I pursue that. If I see a movie about a particular thing, probably the next week I'm going to be Googling or on Wikipedia or somewhere. I'm just going to be researching, looking at that, and kind of thinking about whatever that idea sparked in me. Well, today, uh, th th this idea that the church has made an amazing difference all throughout the history of the world uh, kind of launched me onto this, some of the significance, and I don't even have time, I'm not going to go there today, uh, of what has happened, but it's incredible the difference that Sunday people uh, have made. There's been an enormous amount of good that's been done uh, by those of us who call Sunday their Sabbath over the last 2,000 years. Now, throughout this series, <clears throat> we've been reading the words of the prophet the prophet Isaiah, and here's the promise uh, 
that God made uh, in this in this chapter. If you will call Sabbath a delight and the Lord's Day honorable, and if you honor it not by going your own way and not by doing as you please and speaking your own words, then you will find joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on tri- in triumph on the heights of the land. That's a beautiful promise. And it really is possible to ride in triumph on the heights. I want to make, you know, pastors always say things like, I'm going to make a bold statement. Like the minute I say this, someone's going to come and drag me off, you know. But I, think it's a, I think it's not an exaggeration when I say this. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ, God's Sunday people, have done more good for this world than any other group in history. And I can back that up. And I know we live in a moment of our history when it's kind of trendy to bash the church, when it's sort of in style to point out all the things through the ages that Christians have gotten wrong. Some of the magazines, one in particular that I used to subscribe to, and I've just stopped because every third article was, hey, here's how the church is messing up, and here's how you Christians just don't get it. And I thought, you know what, I, I kind of don't need to be constantly hammered with that idea and that message. And I know there's truth in that, and I won't deny that, but I think there's a lot of beautiful things that are happening. So let me pray, and we'll get started. Father in heaven, we've come here today to worship you and to lift up the name of Jesus. And now we're at this place where we want to hear a word from you. So please, speak to us now. Our eyes and our ears are open. We will ignore the distractions around us. Father, we're listening. So teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what's the story about Sunday? You know, I've always been impressed with uh, people who had this ability to be able to look into the future uh, and to see the possibilities and then to shape the world in a positive way. Some of us just think about today and what I'm going to do. I think I'll have this for breakfast. And, but there are those individuals, and some of you are in this room, who think beyond themselves and can see the bigger picture. People like Charlemagne, who decided that every child in his empire should learn to read. Nobody had ever thought of anything like that before. So he created the first public education system. Or in our own country, people like Patrick Henry, who fueled a revolution by declaring that liberty was more precious to him than life itself. Or Abraham Lincoln, who led the United States through the Civil War and ended the tyranny of slavery. Or Martin Luther King Jr., who was able to envision a day when people would be judged not by their color, but by the content of their character. The ability to imagine a better future and then to help create it is a gift. And I've known and watched some of you who were able to step into these moments and to change the world around you in in awesome ways. 
History is full of such people. And the greatest shaper of the future was a carpenter from a little place called Nazareth. He was named Jesus. There's no other single person in the history of the world that has changed the course of events like Jesus. How did that happen? In the closing days of his life on earth, Jesus stood beneath this this great rock in Caesarea Philippi and he firmly announced that he would build his church and that nothing and no one would ever keep him from it. I want to read with you his exact words. These are in Matthew chapter 16. So open or turn on your Bible uh, to that place. It says this, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, "Mm, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. What about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, if you and I had been there that day and overheard those words, we would have been tempted to think, Jesus, that's a little over the top. I mean, that's really big. Especially because he's speaking to these 12 obscure, mostly adolescent boys and young men in this out-of-the-way place, uh, in this backwater nation under the oppressive thumb of the Roman Empire. I mean, how could one rabbi with 12 guys launch the greatest movement that the world would ever see? Most people who begin any kind of movements, they already have an army of thousands. And they already have political influence. They already have some platform. It's Jesus and these 12 guys, and they're out in the middle of nowhere. And if you add to that the handicap that this rabbi is going to die horrible, violent death at the hands of Romans just a few months later. The odds that that statement, that prophecy is going to come true uh, is way, way south of impossible. And yet today it's true. The church of Jesus has improved our world more than any other entity on earth. So stay with me. And let's skim through the Gospels. And if you do that, you will find 13 times, at least that's how many I've counted, when Jesus makes this two-word request of his disciples. Follow me. It's his most frequently repeated phrase. And by it, Jesus is asking his followers, imitate my values, imitate me, imitate my actions. 
follow me meant do as I do. Not just walk around everywhere I go, but watch my lifestyle. Think as I think. Love these people. Love folks the way that I love folks. Now the disciples took his request very seriously. And wherever they went, uh, they cared for people. They listened to their hurts. They healed people when it was possible. They proclaimed the good news. Jesus is real. He's really who he said he was. Now, I know as I'm speaking, there is a quirky little noise right over here. So all you people, stop and just for a second, listen to that quirky noise. Hear it? It's right up there. Joe's going to fix that this week. Or he loses that envelope, okay? So that's the deal. And we've noticed that before, but now we all got that? All right, back up here. These original disciples followed Jesus to Greece, Turkey, Spain, Italy, India, Africa, and all the parts in between that connected those regions. Within one century, Christianity spread all throughout the Mediterranean basin. Wherever they went, they loved people. Now, this is their strategy. I just met with a team of pastors uh, when I landed in Guatemala, and we met for about three hours, and they took me to a really nice restaurant, and then we, we opened up our notebooks and our pads, and, and we began to strategize, uh, specifically filling in the details of this big weekend that we had planned. You imagine Jesus and the disciples sat down and said, okay, what's our plan? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to love people. Every way we can express that, we're going to love people. Okay, that's our meeting. Let's go get some coffee, and I think we're ready here. You know, that was the plan. That was the idea, and that's what they did. They loved people so authentically that this faith became contagious. It was like nothing the world had ever experienced before. New religions were illegal all throughout the Roman Empire, so Christians were persecuted. Sometimes their belongings were seized. Those were the people that got off lucky. Other times they were burned or fed to lions or used as a killing field for the gladiators in the Roman Colosseum. Just crazy things, though. Instead of scaring people away from Christianity, which was the intent, these heroic acts drew people to the church. And no one could argue about the sincerity of these Christian people. And the movement just grew and gained momentum as it went forward. Jesus rose on a Sunday. So his followers started gathering for fellowship and worship on a Sunday to honor him and to honor that event. So in some places, the disciples and those who followed Jesus began to be known, one of the nicknames, they were called Sunday people. Sunday people. I kind of like that. You know their history, but I want you to listen as if you've never heard this part before, like you're brand new, and maybe it is. Jesus taught his disciples, I want you to love your neighbors as yourself. That's the big idea. I want you to love God. I want you to love your neighbors. That pretty much wraps up all the laws and the rules and the guides I'm going to give you guys. 
this is what I want you to do. Love people. And that began to happen even during the first weeks after the church was formed. Acts 2 says this. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And then the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This was an everyday event. It wasn't just reserved for Sundays. Sunday began to spill out on all the other days. Jesus taught his disciples, care for the hungry. Look at folks who don't have as much. So in Acts 4, the Bible says this. There were no needy persons among them. Just that by itself is a remarkable statement. So from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. That's how they operated their financial program. As Jesus' Sunday people spread to other parts of the world, uh, from Israel to Syria, uh, they started a church in Antioch, I want you to listen to this description of, of what Antioch was like before Christians showed up, before Christians arrived. This is, uh, and I'm quoting from historian Rodney Stark. Check this out. It was a city filled with misery, danger, fear, despair, and hatred. It was an ancient Gotham, okay? A city where the average family lived a squalid life in filth, and cramped quarters, where at least half of the children died at birth or during their infancy, where most of the children who lived lost at least one parent before reaching maturity, a city filled with hatred and fear rooted in intense ethnic antagonisms. That was a snapshot of Antioch. But then the Christians arrived. I want you to listen to the description of what happened when Sunday people showed up. Once Christianity did appear, its superior capacity for meeting these chronic problems soon became evident and played a major role in its ultimate triumph. Now that type of story has been repeated again and again and again, year after year in every country and place where Jesus' people have ever dwelled. Here's another example. In the year 260, AD 260, the entire Roman Empire was hit with a plague that killed somewhere between one-third and one-half of the citizens. And this is a terrible epidemic. This was what was written. Dionysius, who was a bishop at the time, he wrote, this is what he wrote. At the first onset of the disease, the pagans pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert that spread and the contagion of the fatal disease. That's how everybody reacted. Meanwhile, the followers of Jesus, and I quote, nursed the sick and dying, and even spared nothing in preparing the dead for proper burial. In AD 362, Emperor Julian lamented that he and his pagan friends needed to imitate the virtues of the Christians. And here's what he wrote, the emperor. 
their benevolence towards strangers and care for the graves of the dead, these impious Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well. In fact, Julian was so bothered that so many people were converting to Christianity because of the loving acts of these Christians that he launched his own campaign to create pagan secular charities uh, that would, in an effort, match what the Christian people were doing, the Sunday, what the Sunday people were doing. And it failed miserably. After all, the question was asked, what would motivate people to risk their own lives for the sake of others? That just really doesn't make sense. Only Sunday people have the answer. Since their Sunday Jesus rose from the dead, Christians have been giving life everywhere they go in the name of their Savior. On the Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead, he reunited with his disciples in the upper room. And after training them for 40 days, he ascended to heaven. Ten days later, on Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit came down and Sunday people were born. Sunday became the Lord's Day. And as Christians would huddle on Sunday, they grew in their faith and then they went out and did these amazing things because they served everybody everywhere they went. And they got this reputation of being so genuine and so generous in the way that they lived. Sunday people invented the modern hospital, the university. They gave literacy and education to the masses. They run, even to this day, most orphanages. They created free enterprise. They established representative governments and civil liberties. Sunday people were the ones who abolished slavery in England and then in the United States. They elevated the status of women and invented the very concepts of charity and benevolence. A majority of people groups on earth today even have their languages codified by Christians who created their alphabets and then translated the Bible into those languages. And that is still happening today. I'll give you an example. The reason Russian has a Cyrillic alphabet is because St. Cyril created it for them so that he could have the scriptures translated into a language that all the Russian people could understand. And that story has been repeated in languages and in people groups all over the world. One of the missionaries that we support who was here last year for our missions conference is busy doing that right now. If you take an art history or a music history class, you're going to find that many, if not most, of the very best and most famous people and the works that they created were painted or composed by Christians. We have been Jesus' hands and feet in transforming hurting people into helping people into takers, into givers. And we have seen countless souls saved for eternity. Folks, I love Sundays. 
because Sundays inspire people. The people celebrate them. And then those people go out and they inspire and change the world. The story of God building his church, it's like this uh, David and Goliath story. It's like a Rocky story. It's, there was a, a, this rabbi named Jesus joined by these 12 young men who was then joined by hundreds and then thousands and then millions and now billions. And we, God's Sunday people, have changed and are changing the world with intentional ministry and random acts of kindness every day. Now, a few minutes ago, I said that I've been impressed by people who can look into the future and have this vision uh, to, to shape their world in positive ways. And a lot of the medicines that we have, the inventions, I could just go on and on, the political systems that were, that were put together were done so by Christians. So whatever it is God's called you to do, whatever your realm, your occupation, you can make a difference. But most of the people who've done that all throughout history have been followers of Jesus. Charlemagne, whom I mentioned before, was the founder of the Holy Roman Empire. He was motivated to create a public school education because he wanted every people, in the, every person in the kingdom to be able to read the Bible for themselves. Patrick Henry, the one who shouted, give me liberty or give me death. The cry that launched the American Revolution did so while standing in a church in Richmond, Virginia. Abraham Lincoln, the emancipator of slaves, was a committed Christ follower. Martin Luther King Jr. was a Baptist minister. God loves Baptist ministers. <laughs> History confirms that the Church of Jesus has affected more positive changes in our world than any other entity that's ever existed. And it's done so because of the energized efforts of Sunday people. More than any other group, the church has changed the world. And more than any other group together, the church is changing the world now. My son and I went to Louisiana six weeks after Katrina. And all we could see were electric trucks and repair trucks and, and utility people who'd come from all over. But I got a chance to get on the ground and to talk to people one-on-one -on -one who'd been most affected. And when they found out I was a pastor, guess what they said? They said, thank you. They said the very first people on the ground, the very first people on the scene, and I don't say this bragging about us as Southern Baptists, but they said they were Southern Baptists. They were Jesus people. They were Sunday people, followers of Christ. I can tell you that, whether it was the earthquake in Haiti, whether it was uh, the storms and the hurricanes, Christians are always some of the very first people to show up and to make the biggest difference. In fact, FEMA said that they had changed some of their patterns and some of their practices of the way that they went into areas to imitate what we were doing as followers of Jesus. They said, your organization, and you're making such a difference, we need to not do it our way, but do it like you guys are doing it. God is calling us to continue to change our world. 
Because wherever Sunday people go, God goes. And lives change and hope abounds. I'm not going to tell a lot of stories from my Guatemala experience, but I'll just tell you this one example. I went a couple of years ago and I did a conference. And there was a man who came to that conference and he had been drinking heavily for a long time and his wife had left him and she had taken the children and he never got to see his kids and his, his life was miserable. But he came to this conference and there he found Christ and he exchanged his life uh, for, for Jesus. I didn't know this guy. There are a lot of decisions and I just met him. But you fast forward to last weekend at a men's retreat, there this guy is. And at the end of the, one of the sessions, he was, he was just weeping. And someone asked him, you know, would you, would you testify? And he goes, yes. He said, he said, my life changed that day. And he said, after a while, my wife began to see that. And he said, we are back together. She's come back. And he said, I see my children every day. And one of the things I loved, he said that when he was getting ready to come to this men's retreat, he wasn't sure if he would have the time. And his wife said, oh, is that the same people in the message that, oh, yeah, you're going to that. <laughs> you're going to go to that. I told you how not long ago I went to Bogota, Colombia, and a nun came who's involved in ministry to prostitutes, and she brought eight prostitutes and three social workers and another nun, and they came and they listened to the seminar. And at the end of the day, they embraced the exchange life. Well, when I got back to Latin America last week, they said, you're not going to believe what's happening this winter. They said that nun and some of the prostitutes who have given their lives to Christ, one in particular who was so affected by it, they are doing their own conference later at the end of this year for other prostitutes because they've seen the difference that Jesus has made. They've become Sunday people. And the world changes. That's what Jesus had in mind when he stood beneath that rock in Caesarea Philippi and he announced, I will build my church. Who would have thought that it would have ever launched, no less still be, powerful and active and loving as it is today. In his mind, Jesus saw people reaching out with love and kindness to others to help. And Jesus' vision is that he would gather those on Sunday to rest, to refresh, to refocus, and then scatter on the weekdays all over their communities. 2,000 years ago, Jesus announced that nothing was going to stop him from building his church, and nothing has and many have tried. And millions of Christians have been killed. The rate of death among those being persecuted for the cause of Christ is higher today than it has been in any time in the history of the world. But today the church of Jesus is 2.3 billion people strong. And it's growing daily. World history isn't over, but we know where it's headed. And there are two events to anticipate for people who love Sundays. And before we close, before we finish this series, I just want to share this, this scripture with you real quickly, okay? 
It's in Revelation chapter 19, and it depicts a day in the future when Jesus will be married to his people in this great marriage supper of the Lamb. The Apostle John describes it like this. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. And by the way, in the Revelation, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. He described this event with the most joyous and communal celebration one could ever think of that was available in New Testament times, a wedding feast. The wedding supper of the Lamb will be the ultimate day in history. It's a real day, and it's really coming. The Bible says we will be dressed that day in fine linen. The righteous acts of God's holy people. There's only one way to get to wear the linen on that day. And that's to become a part of God's family. A part of the Sunday people. To be a Christ follower. Your price into heaven has already been paid. That garment has already been created on your behalf. We're just kingdom people. There was a parable in, in Matthew 25 of the, the master and the servants, and he gave one you know, a certain amount of gold and another a certain amount and another, and this one invested it, and he said, well done. And this one invested a smaller amount, but still was showing a profit, and he said, well done, because that's what I gave you. The third one said, I knew you were tough and that you didn't want to experience any loss, so I just buried it. I just hid it away. He goes, oh, you wicked servant. You didn't do anything with it. Depart from me. And at the end of my time here, in this short season, this, this time and place in eternity on earth, when it's done, I want to hear, well done. I want to hear that. And I want each of you to hear those words too. And I want us all to be dressed in those linens and to represent the Lord Jesus. So I'm just going to give you some real quick suggestions for you during this last week of I Love Sundays. Here's some ideas, because uh, I always walk out thinking, okay, what do I do now? What's next? How do I, how do I apply this and, and you know, uh, plug this into my life? One, be the church. Be the church. Take your place in history with Sunday people uh, of every generation and find someone in need. Find someone that you can help. Find someone that you can care for, someone who's hurting, or volunteer here or in one of the ministries. Secondly, and I know you think we, 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 you know, we come to this all the time, but get in a community group. Don't just sit in a row, but get in a circle with, with other Sunday people and share your life and do life together. 
Thirdly, stay involved or get involved in ministry. Don't just watch that happen. We've still got slots for next year for the Guatemalan trip. We've got local ministries. There are all kinds of things to do. If you've got a giftedness or an area of interest or something that God's put on your heart, see one of our pastors. Or just, I mean, God's going to lead you to where you can get involved in ministry. And it's going to bless you in amazing ways. And the last thing is come back next Sunday. Come back here next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to be worshiping together. We're going to begin to introduce our 2015 missions conference is coming up. Our theme this year is Engage 24. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a part for all of us. You're going to love the speakers. It's just going to be a, a great week. I love you. I love Sundays. Now, before I ask you to stand and to repeat something with me, I want to introduce you to two couples. One are Daniel and Abigail, who are coming as uh, possibly, hopefully, our new minister and leaders for our youth ministry and uh, you're going to love these guys and I'm looking forward to getting uh, to, to worship and to know you. I'm going to ask you to come and to stand and then I'm going to ask Joe and Jennifer Stembridge uh, to come forward. Joe and Jennifer come to us from where Kathy and I came from in West Tennessee. I told them West Tennessee folks were taking over uh, Calvary but they're from Carryville, Tennessee and they heard that we had moved here to Knoxville, so they quit their jobs, and they left their church and homes, and they came to be a part. That part's not true, but, uh, but these are sweet, sweet folks that you're going to fall in love with the minute you meet them. So I want you to come by and say hello to them and welcome them to Calvary. Now, would you stand, please? And would you repeat after me? I love my city. I love my church. I love Sundays. God bless. Have a great week.